Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Open the pod bay doors now. I'm sorry, Dan. I'm afraid I can't do that. Go ahead, make my day. Welcome everybody to episode four of Black Hole Cinema with your host Tony Black, as ever. And on this show today, we are uh, sailing out of the Oscars week. You will hopefully have tuned into the Oscars special that I recorded with Mr. Chris Wilson earlier in the week and where we dissected all of the winners and losers from the 86th Academy Awards. And we're back on normal track here with some movie reviews and again, a little bit of a blast from the past as I invite on another friend to talk about their favourite movie. Today we'll be reviewing two very different films two very, very, very different kinds of cinema. So hopefully there'll be something for everyone. In which case, let's get on with it, shall we? On to my first review of the day then, and I've just got back from seeing 300 Rise of an Empire! It begins as a whisper, a promise. The lightest of breezes dances above the death cries of 300 men. of sacrifice, a wind of freedom, a wind of justice, a wind of vengeance. Yeah, 300 Rise of an Empire, uh, which justifies the shouty introduction. I think, because most of this film is just shouting. People going, This is Greece! Ah!" Maybe not quite as Liam Neeson as I did it there, but, you know, you get the picture. Uh, Okay, 300. A a few years ago, 300 came out about, what, five, six years ago? And directed by Zack Snyder, who has 
since gone on to basically visually destroy our childhood in various ways. But since since he did that, he's created you know he created a certain visual style with the original three hundred, which was very hyper real, stylized, full of like it wasn't quite it was based on obviously a graphic novel, but it was as is this, but it wasn't exactly comic book in, in a sense. It sort of created a more visual palette for you know, it, it, hard to describe really, but 300 looked quite stunning and kind of started a little bit of a trend. But, it, you know, it didn't need a sequel simply because the story is very much told by the end of 300, you know. Um, spoiler, they all die. You know, where do you go from that? 300 Rise of an Empire, which in fairness, it's not, it's not, the, it's not Snyder's fault essentially because Frank Miller, who did the original graphic novel, he did write a sequel uh, well, no, he wrote a prequel called Xerxes about the god king Xerxes, and it's kind of just transmogrified into this intercourse, I suppose is the best word, because it is a bit of a prequel, it is a bit of a sequel, but it's also happening at the same time as as 300 was. And a lot, quite like the Bourne Legacy, you know, the Bourne Legacy was a sequel technically to the first three films, but it was happening at the same time as the Bourne Ultimatum. And the idea of that was that it, it opened up a bigger picture to that canvas. And this is exactly what, what Snyder on writing duties and the director Noah Morrow tried to do with Rise of an Empire. They try and say that, okay, the 300 was one story that we were telling about Spartans rising up against this massive Persian army led by this mad god king, inverted commas, Xerxes. That's, that was one story. This is what was happening at the same time. And, and, and partly why this all happened in the first place and you know considering it tries to actually open up that canvas it's spectacularly dull you know for most of the running time in a way that is hard to describe the original 300 i i really enjoyed when i went to the cinema because it was something i hadn't quite seen before visually stunning quite hollow ultimately i watched it again uh, a few years ago and it's a decent movie but it's got no substance beyond the style. But there's something about it that's, that's likeable. I think it might be Gerard Butler as uh, as Leonidas, the, the king. You know, and a, a, a decent cast and, you know, not a bad story and based on an ancient legend. You know, and it, it, it highly camp, highly cheesy. But it was, it, was, it was enjoyable. This one is trying to do all that stuff. But A, it's not original anymore and it's not ex- interesting and exciting because it's, it's been done already. And B, it's like... And this was the problem the Bourne Legacy had. This, this, this was the same problem. It's like you're, it's telling a far less interesting story than the actual story that started this whole thing. You know? And you're sitting there thinking, well, this is all right, I suppose, but what, I, I preferred being with, you know, the, the 300 Spartans who were charging into battle and doing all this is Sparta stuff. Whereas I'm here with this really boring bunch of Athenians, you know, trying to protect the, the bigger canvas of all these Greek states. And I don't really give a toss, you know. And it was, it was very, very hard from the very beginning to give a toss. It doesn't help that they start this film with the longest possible uh, bit of backstory you're ever going to hear in your life. Honestly, it starts with, you know, um, Lena Headey, doing a, a, a voiceover describing in typical, you know, Lena Headey terms, there was a great army and they were, da-, you know, all this. 
And it, it starts telling you the, the backstory of Xerxes, which is presumably what, and I haven't read this, but it's presumably what Frank Miller's graphic novel was about. And it tells the story of how Xerxes becomes this god king. And that's really quite interesting, but they do nothing with that then. You know, this, it, you know, admittedly, it's a really, really long backstory, and it's, re- it's, it's you know, sc- screenwriting 101 bad idea in that you don't start a film... You don't start any story with a whomping great mass of this is what happened before and you need to know this to enjoy this story. That's really bad writing, but it is Zack Snyder, so no surprise. But the whole Xerxes thing is actually quite interesting. You know, there's a a kind of a supernatural tinge to what, what he was, what he becomes. And that's not mentioned because he's barely in the bloody thing because he's off in the more interesting film, which we watched like four or five years ago, you know, doing all that stuff. So we're left with this guy called Themistocles or something. It's a ridiculous name. Played by this guy called Sullivan Stapleton, who I've never heard of, and who's an Aussie. You know, and Gerard Butler, okay, he's, he's Scottish, but he, he kind of got away with the, with the whole being a Greek thing, even though he was clearly Scottish. This guy, he just sounds like he's wandered in off a beer advert. You know, it's like, hey, mate, you know, I'm going to go and fight some... Uh, Bought some Persians, right? Are you all ready, mate? Yeah, good. You know, it's just, oh, come on. And he's, he's like a more boring Leonidas in the end. And it's just... So we're following him and all these interchangeable Athenians. Like you've got, you know, Jack O'Connor is actually a quite a good up-and-coming actor playing, you know, the typical kind of young lad who wants to go up and fight and his dad doesn't want him to. And yawn, yawn, yawn. You know, so there's, there's all these bunch of boring people you can't tell the difference in half of them so we're following them and we're telling this whole story of how they're trying to protect from this massive Persian army who after Xerxes rising they basically want to take over the world and they're trying to stop them while you know the 300 guys the Spartans are trying to do their own thing and it all kind of comes together luckily luckily and the, the, one of the few saving graces of this entire film is Eva Green because Eva Green plays this villainess called Artemisia who even though Xerxes is technically the big villain, she, he's not really. He's, he's the villain in the background. She's, she's the bad guy. And she's the, she vamps it up wonderfully. I mean, she's, she's working from a really, really crap script. And she doesn't have great dialogue. You know, it's dialogue. But Eva Green just is smoking hot. She knows how to play a, bad, a bit of a baddie. And quite frankly, and I apologise if this offends anybody, but she gets a tits out. And as far as I'm concerned... Well, you know, that's never a bad thing with Eva Green. Uh, so I was quite happy to see her in it. And she, she's, she's all right. Yeah, she's good. She keeps, she keeps it interesting, you know, even when she's working with nothing. So thankfully they have her in there and she's by far the best thing in this. But around that, you know, it just goes round in circles. And you're thinking, well, OK, there's a lot of stuff going on, but it's not interesting at all. And you're thinking, well, where is everybody? You know, I mean, all, all the, Lena Headey's barely in it as, as the queen from the Spartans. She's barely in it. Rodrigo Santoro was Xerxes. He's still hilariously camp. He's barely in it. And it's just like, oh my God, why, what, what you, what's the point of all this? You know, the point, of course, is the action, ultimately. That, yeah, that, that's, that's the point. And a lot of this is, is far more naval. It takes place on the oceans, whereas 300, as far as I remember, takes place much more on land and it's all that. This, this takes place a lot on the oceans. So there's a lot of ship battles. There's a lot of naval battles. You know, there's a lot of posturing between these two great armies and it's all it's all very visually arresting and it looks good 
and the fight scenes are, are all there, but it's just, well, I was bored. I was bored at various points. I really was. I, you know, especially in the bits between the fighting. When the fighting was on at times, I was thinking, well, I've seen this before. I've seen it before. Noah Morrow does very little to distinguish this from the original. You know, and it's not, it's not bad. It's not bad, essentially. You know, there are far worse films out there. It's just not, it's just not very interesting. And it's just, it just goes on and on and on. It really does. And it, it builds up to this big climax, but you won't, you won't care. You won't give a toss. You won't. And the irony is, it ends on a really, really kind of ambiguous note that is sequel baiting. And you should care. You should be going, well, no, you can't just end it like this. Yeah, hang on a minute. But I, I was sitting there thinking, well, I'm not really bothered. You know, I mean, if it does well in the, in the cinema, it's bound to get a third one, you know, and that will be probably just the same as this. But I'm, le- I'm left feeling like, like, like I was watching things like, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean and that kind of thing. And it's not as bad as them, really, but it's just this tedious, you know, kind of stuff that's, that's fun once. And then once you see it again, it just loses any kind of sense of, oh, interesting. It, now it's just... So if, if you're a fan of Eva Green and her boobs, watch it. But I wouldn't spend money. I'd wait till it comes on telly. If you're not a fan of Eva Green's boobs, well, frankly, we have nothing more to talk about. <laughs> guys and this is the special uh, part of the show in which I get on a, uh, a friend to talk about film with me and specifically talk about a film they love and I, I haven't named this I'm trying to come out every week I'm trying to come up with a, a name for this basically whether it's you know the segment where people talk about great films or the favorite film segment and I haven't come up with a good one yet I'm still waiting so if you have any suggestions Tell me. Uh, <laughs> this week, I have, I'm very excited. And if you know me, you'll know why. Because there's a lady this week I've got on. An actual female. And that hasn't happened before. Because I didn't think ladies ever listened to me. But this one has. Say hello to the lovely Emma Platt. Hello. <laughs> you just said hello to yourself. That's... I did, because I love myself. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. Well, somebody's got it, haven't they? So, exactly. Yeah. And Emma, what uh, what film are you choosing to talk about today? I am going to talk about the legendary Ghostbusters. Who are you going to call? Exactly. Oh. I, I I can't even. I've loved this film since I was about four. Like my, me and my mum used to watch it every single weekend. It's just it was on my name badge in work as well when I first started. We had to pick our favourite film, and Ghostbusters was my first pick. Because you worked in the cinema, didn't you? Um, up until last week, I worked in the cinema for five years. Yeah. And you picked, yeah, you picked Ghostbusters. Great choice. Ghostbusters. Great, great choice. Although a bit sad, sadly timed lately, isn't it, really, given um, given the death of uh, Harold Ramis, who played Egon, didn't he? Egon, yeah. It, um, yeah, he passed away earlier this week. And it's, it's very sad, but like you said, it's a lot of people have been watch, re-watching Ghostbusters on my Facebook and things, and I think a lot of people are latching onto that film. 
in you know kind of his memory mm. it, it's not his other works i've been getting the attention as ghostbusters which is it's kind of sad but it's kind of nice at the same time I guess it makes sense though, doesn't it? Because it's it's by far and away his most probably his most famous film. Even though he's done a lot of he did a lot of um, you know well known films like things like Caddyshack, you know that, that everyone has watched, loads of people have watched. But yeah, he's Ghostbusters is so iconic, isn't it? You know, and and just famous for so many reasons that it makes sense. Yeah, it's got like you said, it's iconic. There's so many things about Ghostbusters that just, when you think about it, you think about, like, you know, the state push mark, no man at the end, you think of Slimer, you think of the car, you think of the theme tune. It's got so, like, there's so many elements about it that make it memorable. And it, uh, yeah, it's sad, but mm. did you see there was a lot of people putting in tributes to him outside the firehouse? That was the Ghostbusters headquarters in the film. Oh, really? So, yeah, there's a lot of people putting, like, Twinkies and things. Oh, fantastic. And, oh. like, action figures, so. Yeah. Oh, that's that's lovely. That's really nice, you know. And it's yeah, I've I've seen um, on Letterbox this film site that I, I review on. I've seen tons of people, yeah, watching Ghostbusters again, you know, and, and talking about how great it is. So even though it's sad that obviously he's died, it's nice that it actually gets people revisiting Ghostbusters at least, you know, even though there's obviously nicer ways to do it. But yeah, it's these things always bring people around, don't they, to to it. What what is it then for you that makes Ghostbusters your your favourite film? What are the elements then in this film? I think it's um, it's one of those films that when I was younger, it, I liked it for different reasons and I like it now. I've like I've like grown up into different aspects of it. Like, like when I was little, I just like, you know, it was a special effects and it was the, the big set piece at the end and things like that. And then now it's just, I get the jokes more, I get the humour yeah. more. It's so quotable. Like you could literally just quote Ghostbusters every single day. There's, just, <laughs> there's a line for everything in it. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It's something about it. It's just, and it's it's a film that I think a lot of people my age grew up with. You know, every Halloween you see people in the in the suits. They're always well in the clubs I go to. They always end up playing at like two o'clock in the morning. Mm. You know the theme song. It's just, yeah. It's and Bill Murray is just he's fantastic in everything, but he's so good as part of that um the ensemble that they've got going on. Mm. I just think he's amazing. And Rick Moranis in it, Sigourney Weaver. The cast is incredible. Oh, well, one of the things that I always think about with this is how, you know, normally in these films, you've got maybe one or two lead characters who everyone remembers. The Ghostbusters, everyone remembers all of them. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's not like it's just Bill Murray or it's just Dan Aykroyd. Everyone always remembers Harold Ramis. They always remember Sigourney Weaver. They always remember Ernie Hudson. You know, all these all these people in it. And it, that's that proves that it was like five or six really well-written characters, wasn't it? Yeah, and it, like even the um, you think about the Sigourney Weaver character, she's not just like she's not a sidekick, she's not just comic relief. She's a smart, intelligent. But she's even buy into Bill Murray. You know, he spends all the first half of the film trying to woo her, and she's just not interested in him. And I just think she's such a different female character, and she's still funny in her own right. And she does like she's got quite a big part in it, you know, in the stories that goes on. But she's just so different from some of the characters in comedies at that time. Mm. I mean, that role could easily, with a few rewrites, I think Sigourney Weaver's role could be played very easily by a man. I don't think it was necessary. We'd have to write the love interest for Bill Murray's character. It just She just fitted so perfectly with everyone else. Well, this, well you don't really... I mean, Sigourney Weaver's one of those actresses that where she's, she's not your atypical kind of love interest, is she, in a way? You know, she's got that... Obviously, because she's played people like Ripley and, and all these characters who are quite masculine to an extent, aren't they? You know? 
And it's like you, she's a bit different, isn't she? The way you put her into a cut into a part, she can play different kinds of things. So I think that I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right about that as character. Um, she's a very different kind of leading lady, really. She always has been. I just I don't know. She just fits so well into that into just as her character. But then with Bill Murray, then you put her in like interacting with the the Ghostbusters and with Rick Moranis. She just she fits in. Even. I even like her in Ghostbusters too. I love Ghostbusters too. I'm just going to say that right now. I don't well, care what anyone says. I was going to get to that actually. We'll get to that in a bit because I was going to ask you what you think of Ghostbusters too, and you know anything that might come next. But we'll get to that. Do you think it's aged well? I mean, we're talking about you know it was well, it's 30 years old this summer. So do you, do you think it's aged well since then? I do. I mean, I know there are obviously a lot of special effects now, but because. I think the fact that it's supposed to be have ghosts, even if the effects look, look a little bit crappy, you can kind of forgive it. Because it's not supposed to be like like an alien invasion, a big massive scary aliens or something like that. You know, I think if we look back at um, during the first Resident Evil film that came out in like yeah. 2000, I watched that about five years after it was released and that looked so bad. Mm. It just looked all, like the monsters just looked terrible. But this is it's supposed to be comedy. So if it looks a little bit shaky. I don't think that matters as much, so I think it. I think it has held up well, and even the end bit with the the state of marshmallow man, I just I still think that looks brilliant when he's like you just see his head. Yeah, the, the, the sky's great. Oh, I love that bit. It, it's that was that was the the main. Uh, I had I remember having all the I remember having the car. I remember having the the, the figures of the characters, but I remember that that Stapoft man was the. I loved that. I absolutely adored that as a kid. It was the best thing in the world. And yeah, it's you're right. You're, I think you you hit the nail on the head with the comedy side of it. I think that's the whole the whole point in that it's it can get away with looking a little bit old fashioned now. As, you know, it has that quality to it, really. Yeah, I remember was uh, when the Nightmare on Chief film was being remade. They were talking about the effects in the original, how they were a bit, little bit crappy and stuff, and how that hasn't aged well. But that's meant to be scary, mm. you know. The scene where Freddy first appears and he like he stretches out his arms. Yeah. And they were talking about how at the time that was like so innovative and now it just looks crap. But, you know, horror films are supposed to scare you. This wasn't necessarily supposed to scare you. So it scared me. There was a like a phase between like six and seven when I would not watch the first thing in the library. <laughs> it scared the bejesus out of me. Yeah. Like I just wouldn't, I'd run away and when that bit was over, I'd come back and watch it, but I could not watch that first bit. I think, I think I was, I think it was similar for me really. Cause um, I, I remember moments in it that used to freak me out a little bit when I was a kid. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it, it can, when you're little, I think it's creepier and a bit scarier than it is when you're an adult. But like you say, when you're an adult, you pick up on everything else. You pick up on all the underlying, the comedy more, the, the, the scripts, the jokes, you know, yeah. I mean, it's written by, um, Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis, wasn't it? So it's it's two comedians writing, you know, this whole thing. So you, that's why, you know, that's why it's funny. Even uh, my son loves it, and he's three and a half. He absolutely loves Ghostbusters. He will put the the theme music on and dances around. So he'll watch <laughs> the film. He adores it. So it's got it's got a. You know, to me, it feels like I'm passing it down. My mum yeah. watched it with me, and I watch it with my son, and it's kind of nice if you know what I mean, like. And when he gets a bit older, I'll be able to put more things out to him. So yeah, I've got, it does have a sentimental value to it to me as well. I've got to say that is excellent parenting, if you ask me. <laughs> I, I really believe that. See, if I ever have kids, they're going to be watching all this stuff. So good for you. Yeah, excellent. Keep keep it alive. But uh, yeah, I, I mean that 
Now, I mean, really, if, if you think about it, I mean, you're, you're, you know, I'm, I'm 30, I'm 31, nearly 32. So I, I wasn't, a, I was barely a little one when this came out in the cinema. So I didn't experience it in the cinema. You were born a good few years after. Yeah, I'm 26. Yeah, you're 26. But we both. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When we were kids, and we're talking like the 90s here, right? When we were kids and we were teenagers, and going into the 2000s for you, really, right? To some extent. We, We still watched this, you know? We still watched it and we still... Loved it, and we had the figures, and we and all this stuff. And we're talking ten odd years after the film came out. How many films do that? You know, not many have that test of time, really. Exactly. I know um, my best friend's little boy has got Ghostbusters toys now. I knew all the boys in my class at school had the toys, and like you said, it was like ten, fifteen years after yeah. it came out. And you just, it was just part of your childhood. And even if you didn't. Watch Ghostbusters, you know, they had the cartoons, the real Ghostbusters and stuff, so you kind of experienced it through that as well. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, you, the, 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 nowadays it's like it's the, it's the fancy dress costume, isn't it? With the, with the, yeah. the, the pack on, on your back and all this. And then it's the, like you say, it's the music that everybody knows that theme tune. Everybody. Without fail. <laughs> when I got married, I actually had that played at my wedding about like 11 o'clock that night. That doesn't remotely surprise me. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, 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 but this is it. It's it. These things they they kind of stand the test of time, and I think that's that's remarkable. Given that you're talking about one film, yes, it had a sequel, but that sequel was only a couple of years later, and it it's never had any other live action sequel since. You know, it's like the only thing it's had, apart from the real Ghostbusters is a, a video game for the PlayStation. And that's, oh, yeah. that's it, you know. And for years and years and years, there's been talk about Ghostbusters 3, and it's never happened. But the fact it's still so popular is 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 remarkable, absolutely remarkable, I think. So what do you think of the sequel, then? We talked about that earlier. Um, you love Ghostbusters 2, then? Uh, yeah, I don't care what anyone says. I love Ghostbusters 2. I don't see the... I don't, will not hear any criticism about Ghostbusters 2. I love it. Yeah. it oh, I don't care. Yeah. I love it. I just, it's amazing. Why do you think people don't like it? 
I honestly don't know. I think, I don't know. I think it's the same with whenever they make a sequel to anything that's so loved, you're going to have people who, they're going to set the bar so high that no matter how how well it does, some people are just never going to be satisfied. Mm. I I don't understand why people don't like it. I think it's just as funny. I mean, the the villain isn't as, the villain isn't as good as the first one with, you know, you've got Gozer and Zul and all that. Yeah. And I think that perhaps the build-up to the, the, the end part of it isn't as isn't as intense, but I still, I still really like it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and it, it did as well. I mean, it cost a little bit more to make, I think, but it did as well at the box office almost, you know. It's, it still got people in. It had the same cast back, didn't it? Everyone was back for it, you know, pretty much, and the, the main characters. And you think to yourself, well, maybe it's one of those films that people have kind of, being trained almost to think, oh, well, it's obviously not as good. And they maybe need to go back and, you know, have another look, really. Yeah, um, there's a lot of films that you just, you hear so much negativity about anyway, that you just, it's like, um, I've never seen Waterworld, but I just hear so much about it that I'm, I already know in my head that I'm prob- it's probably crap. As soon as I do what you think of Waterworld, I go, it's crap, because everyone else has said it. But it's, well, yeah, but it's, that is an example of one of those films that is, it's not as bad as people would have you believe, right? It's not great, but my God, there are, there are films out there with that kind of, that made at that kind of time that are so much worse than that. It's like Cutthroat Islands, another one. And then they're all right. They're not that bad, really. <laughs> you know, not when you put them next to things like Battlefield Earth and some shocking stuff that's been made. And you think, well, you know, cut, cut it some slack. Yeah, I mean, I watch lots of horror films and the amount of crap that is produced in the horror genre is absolutely yeah. monumental. So, you know, to see, I've seen some genuinely bad films. So for people who are like, you know, say Ghostbusters 2 is crap, you haven't seen crap, believe me. <laughs> yeah. if, when you've watched Wishmaster 4, you've seen crap. Or Leprechaun Back to the Hood, that's crap. Wow. Ghostbusters 2 is like, it's like the Casab- it's Casablanca compared to that, honestly. <laughs> do, you think, do you think if they ever get round to Ghostbusters 3, it will be a good idea? I don't know, personally, as as wanted to see Ghostbusters 3 since I became aware that they could even make another film. But then it won't live up to the... It won't live, first of all, because, you know, they're going to be a character down. How are they going to... I know there was talk about them, Bill Murray was going to be a ghost in it, and it was going to be the new generation of Ghostbusters, and blah, 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 blah. But no matter how good it may be, you're going to... People aren't going to be happy with it, because it's not going to be the same. It's It's just... It's not... I'll go see it and I'll probably enjoy it, but I'll still always hold it up to the standard of the first film and it's just, it won't be the same. I don't know what direction they're even going to take it in or, you know, apparently I read this morning that they're still going ahead with it. Like Ghostbusters 3 is still mm. going into production, but I had Bill Murray hates the script and Sigourney Weaver says she wasn't coming back. So it's already got all these problems before it's even started shooting. So. Mm. And it's, the, the, the people have been talking about that for years, haven't they? About how Bill Murray did, doesn't want to do it, he does want to do it, and then. You know, like you say, they're going to get a younger cast in and it's going to be like a passing the torch thing. And, and, you know, it's it's got a lot, really, it's got so much stacked against it, I think, really, in, from the off, that it's, it's, it's really a big risk. Now, it's like, well, you're not going to have a full cast. It's going to, you're in an age now where it, it, we've seen so much happen since that, yeah, it, it just, it really, really doesn't have... I think it could be interesting if it's all about, you know, 
like we've got the whole we've got the whole fan footage movement. So you're gonna have a lot more you can have a lot more people, you know, with oh I've got this ghost on my phone and blah 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 and see how that mm. plays into what they're doing. That's true. I, that, that could be quite interesting, but I just part of me really wants to see it, but if it's not good I'll cry. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I, I genuinely will just cry. It's like when I went to see Avengers, I remember saying to my brother, if this isn't good, I'll have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> and I genuinely would have had a nervous breakdown. So I would, I would really, really, I would cry. And luckily, just, that was brilliant, you know. Okay, finally then, just to wrap up, what, if you, if you've got one last little bit to convince people, if they haven't seen Ghostbusters, if they've been living under a rock on Mars for the last, like, 30 years, why should they watch Ghostbusters? Because it's got a 50-foot giant marshmallow, Maya. What more do you need than that? You don't need anything else than that. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, you know, if people aren't sold after that and after this chat, then they ought to not watch films again, to be honest, if you ask me. Or oh, just watch Wishmaster 4 and repeat oh, just, the rest of their lives. Yeah, yeah. And we may make you do that if you don't watch Ghostbusters. That might be the, <laughs> the punishment. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Emma, for coming on and um, telling us all about this. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Okay, welcome back, everybody. Um, this is a special review because it's not me talking about this one. Very kindly, uh, after we recorded our Oscars special, Chris Wilson has stuck around to give us his thoughts on uh, Lars von Trier's Nymphomaniac. As a young girl, I discovered I was a nymphomaniac. Well, that's nothing to smile about. If you have wings, why not fly? If I asked you to take my virginity, would that be a problem? I don't see a problem. What if it's nasty? Then you just think of a bag of chocolate sweeties. I wanted to be picked up, put down, again and again. I wanted to be treated like a thing. May I tell you something? Sure. You're my first one. Really? <laughs> Which I haven't had a chance to see at the cinema and he's a fascinating new experiment that was only on one night uh, so far in British cinemas anyway. But uh, Chris, you had the uh, the uh, lucky fortune of going to see it, didn't you? So what did you think? I did. It was an interesting experience. <laughs> it, 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 bear in mind uh, when it was released, I think it was like 72 cinemas across the uh, country. And we tried to make a big event of it because before... Uh, during the intermission and afterwards, they were like showing scenes from, I think, uh, Cameron and Fate now in London, but Edith Bowman, you know, Radio 1% now, it, 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 she was like, um, it, it trying to make the audience do all sorts of weird things, like put Shia LaBeouf bags, uh, paper bags over uh, the heads of people in, in London. Oh, really? And so you already knew, yeah, so you already knew already that it was going to be a pretty weird experience. And then, when the film begins itself, you suddenly become quite aware that, you know, bear in mind I saw this on a Saturday night, City World Sheffield, that I was watching hardcore pod with 150 people around me. <laughs> yeah, that's, I've never watched hardcore porn with that many people. I normally top off about 50, normally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't even want to ask. <laughs> no, it's best not. That must have been surreal. It, it, it was a bit because. I've never seen anything so sexually graphic in cinema before mm. because, you know, of course, you know, I've seen all sorts of films covering different sexual things before, but I've never seen anyone like Lars von Trier go to the lengths that he does with his films by, for example, 
even though apparently it's not his, it's been in digitally inserted on. But I've now seen Shia LaBeouf with an erect cock. Oh God! Uh, slamming it in and out of a of a girl. You know it's. So so, because obviously it's it, the story is is this young girl's like journey, isn't it, from childhood uh, through adult life and her sexual encounters, basically, isn't it? That's effectively what it is, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, what happens in the beginning is that Stan Skarsgård's character uh, finds Charlotte Gainsborough beaten up in, like, in the middle of a, a alleyway. Mm. Uh, he takes her back to her house and she recounts basically her, a history of her sexual conquests. Mm. And, it, and it begins like as, as a young child, you know, nothing too explicit there, but then one while as it goes along, like for example, she's challenged by her friend to try and shag as many people as as they can on a train journey, right. for example, and the prize is a bag of chocolate sweeters. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, weird. that's weird. Yeah. I, and, and the way it plays out is that the way Lars von Trier does it is that while it's clear that, if, 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 that the main female character is enjoying herself, she, she's sort of portrayed as a vampire, which is a bit strange. There's one moment which, after describing graphic detail, but uh, she blows a guy in in first class. Yeah. And and after she's done, she sits up, and then a huge glob of semen, <laughs> a, 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 a pours down her lip, and then she wipes <laughs> it away. Oh. And I did that moment. It's like it, it, essentially she's portrayed to be some sort of sexual vampire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! So is, is it sexy then? I mean, I mean, this this is this is the thing that I've been wondering about. This, you know, you, you describing that that doesn't sound sexy at all, you know. Um, but is it trying to be erotic, or is it actually trying to sort of make a kind of a cautionary tale about sex? Really, yeah, I think I think it's a, a it's very anti-erotic. Mm. I mean. I'll be honest, you know, I was never turned on once, for example, by what I saw on the screen. Mm. Other people, maybe. You just don't know. But I think what's interesting is Lars von Trier, the way, firstly, he treats women, which is, he tries to have a slightly progressive point of view about them, but it's quite clear from the way he portrays them that he doesn't like women very much. And the main character, for example, goes through all sorts of hell. It, uh, and, you know, it's brutal, it's unforgiving. And and although the, uh, the woman tries to come with intellectual points about her point of view, she's never seen her as anything more than a freak. Is it, is it like he's, he's almost blaming her for, for what, what she does, Von Trier? Is it kind of like, do you, do you feel like he's suggesting that she's, she's responsible, in a way, for everything that she goes through? Yeah, she, it's basically suggesting that because she initially leads her life like she wants to by having sex so much that it's somehow her fault that there's consequences. Mm. And uh, even though the people around her are complete assholes, you know, it's it's always her that feels the repercussions. I mean, there's a few brutal bits in the film that are subjected to her, which are wholly unnecessary. And at times you feel it's it's Lars von Trier making a film instead of going to therapy. <laughs> like what? Like what kind of what kind of moments? Well, there's uh, one bit where, it, well, this is a spoiler anyway. 
But halfway through the film, I'm bearing in mind this film was shown in two volumes, and at the end of the first volume, the big cliffhanger was, is that suddenly she had no feeling anymore, you know, when I'm in sex, and she couldn't feel anything. Yeah. And so she goes to see this weird sort of counsellor-type guy who uh, proceeds to... who physically beats her to try and get some sort of arousal, arousal out of her. Uh, that's the point of a the therapy. And there's one particular bit where where he brings out, it's like, much I'll describe it, it's like a rope with like four different ropes on it. It's sort of like something you'd see in Roman times. Yeah. You know, or, or when you're giving someone a lashing. And so if the guy lashes her, it means it's supposed to be 40 times, but we get to see the first 10 times. And it's very unapologetic in showing everything, graphic details. You get to see every single a little bloody mark and every single bruise like appear on her and, and you get to hear him like in absolute agony is it exploitative i mean is, is it is it exploitative in in that sense you know is it is it von trier trying to really kind of shock like shock value the thing is i i don't know because anyone who doesn't know Lars von trier will probably say yes it is being exploitative but I think it's just Lars von Trier being Lars von Trier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah. he's always been somebody who just hates the idea of being a conformist, doesn't he? He hates the idea of, you know, doing what other people are doing. It's like that, famously, when he basically told everyone he was a Nazi because everyone was like liking what he was doing. At that point, he turned around and uh, I think it was at Cam, wasn't it? And he said, yeah, I'm a Nazi, by the way. Hate me again. I don't like being accepted. So then, he, you know, and he goes off and makes things like this. Which is, I mean, it's not very welcoming to your average cinema goer, is it? Something like Nymphomaniac, because it's like, isn't it like four hours long for a start? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think when it gets released later on in the year, it's been released in two volumes, so you get to see part one, and if you like it, if you go see part two a few months down the line. Well, I saw it. First volume's two hours, we had a 20 minute break, then we're straight into the second film immediately. That must have been quite like hard going, really. If it was, was it? Yeah, you know, was it entertaining though? Was it? Did you know what? The film is actually quite good for most of the way through. Like, for example, the, the, the first volume, I wouldn't say it's fantastic or mind blowing, anything like that. I did enjoy it. Mm. The second half inevitably gets darker and, and more, more relentless. But the problem is, and uh, I can't really explain why because it doesn't make any sense in context anyway. But for some reason, Lars von Trier makes a decision in the final 60 seconds. So bear in mind, you know, we've been here for, for, for three, three hours, yeah. 59 minutes. Then in the final 60 seconds, he does something so completely fucking stupid that it basically ruins the film. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah, well, that... It, 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 to, to, to try and explain it a bit, there's a particular character... Who it does something suddenly for no reason at all that's completely contradictive of the previous three and fifty nine three hours fifty nine minutes. Well, it, it's just a, a completely out, out character, and it seems to me uh, that Lars von Trier wanted an ending that would shock mm-hmm. at first, even if it was at the sake of destroying the story. Well, and, and that that sounds like a shame because if he's made something that is actually you know quite interesting and then he goes and torpedoes it just to get that shock reaction just to get that hi i'm Lars von Trier. you i'm you know i'm different i'm gonna do something to you know if he's doing that then it's it's a shame it's a shame really 
Yeah, it's dumb shame. Yeah, because I uh, like you say after after two hours, after four hours of sitting there through it all and enjoying it, it's, it to get that far in. I mean, it's a commitment. I mean, anyone who watches this is it's a commitment to get that far. You know. Oh yeah. So especially the content as well. I yeah. can see it, if it if it gets released on DVD. Because bear in mind. The film, as it's cut, is made R18. You know, not an 18, it's an R18. Is it very, very, very graphic then with the sex? Is it very, you know, is it, well, yeah, like you say, it's porn. Is it like porn? Is it basically pornography, effectively? It is pornography. Yeah. Uh, you, you don't see any penises penetrating any vaginas or anything like right. that. But, like, for example, you get sea erections, which... As far as the uh, BBSC go, is a massive no no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there are some quite massive ones, that's to be said. I did feel inadequate afterwards. <laughs> well, I mean, we know, we know Shia LaBeouf is a cock, but we don't need to see it, do we? Let's be honest. Um... I, 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 speaking of him, uh, his acting performance is one of the worst performances I've seen in my life. Oh, my God. So. And so for all of his his art that he's been doing, you know, the whole I'm not famous yeah, anymore, yeah. which has been leading up to Nymphomaniac, has almost been compensated by how awful he is in this because he cannot do an English accent to save his life. Because I didn't realise the film was set in England until he got to see a, few, a couple of landmarks. Mm. I think he's French at one point, Australian, Scottish. Oh. Irish. He, I think he nails every accent apart from the one he's supposed to do. Maybe he is the new Nicolas Cage, then. You know, maybe he's maybe he's Nicolas Cage in waiting. You know, maybe maybe it's, it's, he, he could be. You shut your whole mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I know that's sacrilege to you. I know. I know. God damn it. <laughs> but you know, time will tell, won't it? Time will tell. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, would, finally, then, would you would you recommend it? Would you recommend Infomaniac to anyone? Or do you, or do you have to be a very much a Von Trier fan, or do you have to really be into you know hardcore film, <laughs> if you see what I mean, to really get something out of it? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't recommend it to my family, for example. <laughs> yeah, I'd say if you're a Von Trier fan, you'll like it because it's his most intelligible film narrative-wise. It's a straightforward story. There's no fucking about. Yeah. I'd say if you're an art house fan, you'll probably go for it. And if you're into your hardcore porn, it's probably not in the fucking for you. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, you've covered all the bases. You've covered all the bases there, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, okay. Well, uh, Nymphomaniac, you might be able to get to see that if it's on local cinemas. Uh, like Chris said, it's pro- coming out later in the year. So um, keep your eye out for it. And um, thanks a lot for that, Chris. That thudding bit of Lars von Trier rock (laughs) brings us to the end of episode four of Black Hole Cinema. Thank you so much for listening, whoever you are, wherever you are. Hopefully you've enjoyed the varied reviewers today, uh, the different couple of voices, apart from my own, once again. There are more plans to get more people on and have a few more special episodes, like the Oscars one and the TV one, that hopefully you'll see over the next couple of weeks. Uh, I'm still enjoying doing this, so and hopefully you're still enjoying uh, listening to it. Thank you to those who've just joined listening. I, 
I now keep track of the amount of downloads we get and it's certainly been going up lately, which is wonderful. And for those of you who have just joined listening, thank you so much and I hope you continue to. Uh, you can, of course, find me on Twitter at Tony underscore O underscore Black. Feel free to add me. Uh, it'd be a pleasure to talk to you and to hear any feedback you have on the show. And as, as I said before, if anyone was interested in coming on and talking about film with me or doing anything like that, that would be wonderful. Let me know. Hit me up. We'll see what we can do. That's it for this week. I'll be back next week with some more reviews. But uh, until then, have a great week. Enjoy your movie watching and see you soon. <laughs>